When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is voting for Jack Cause he's got what all the rest lack Everyone wants to back Jack Jack is on the right track Cause he's got Welcome back to the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. Once again, your host, Allison, with my wonderful guest, Ryan Pryor, here to bring in part two. Wow, it's been a whole week, Allison. Wow, it what a, what a wild week it has been. <laughs> Did you vote yet? I, I have voted, yes. And uh, and he, uh, wow. Um, you know, We're just, totally kidding, by the way. Oh, this yeah, is the same no, session. The same, same session. <laughs> just, but, but, but you guys in podcast land listening right now, I'm sure something wild has happened in the, this, Probably. the last week. So whatever it is, future you guys, I am either sorry or I'm excited for you. Exactly. Is, since we're talking, that covers everything. It covers everything. I'm either really sorry about that or I'm really excited for you. Uh, or if it's neither, I am indifferent towards it. So I love it. That covers he all just the bases for both of us. Yes. Should we not? Should we, you <laughs> I probably, agree. Hopefully, you won't be able getting any kind of like. But uh, now that we've said that, no bad press, no bad comments because you weren't insensitive. You know. Yeah, it's not possible. We covered everything. Like if the moon blows up. In between that week, I know that's like We'd a while. We would die, so I, none of us would be here, guys. If the moon has blown up, I am sorry. I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. If the moon has blown up, <gasps> yeah. but if it has, holy shit, uh, <laughs> we're all goners. We're all goners. I love it. You still had the wherewithal to upload the podcast, even though the moon has blown it's amazing. up. Amazing. You're like, well, I got my fans, my to my fans. They're all that matters. <laughs> The, do it for uh, the, by the way, do it this the will fame. be coming out on election day, actually. We can't talk about that. This one specifically will be November 3rd. Yes. Go vote. If you go haven't vote, vote, everybody. Go vote. Hope you have voted today. I hope you have voted and then listened to this podcast as a reward. So let's talk about voting. Let's talk about elections, a second election. And I was telling Allison during the break that the first part of this episode was for you guys who love Kennedy. And I love Kennedy, too. Don't get me wrong. But... As I've said before, Lyndon Baines Johnson is my second favorite president. And so this part is about that election, the, the election of 1964. And I know it is making Allison turn, you know, sideways cringing. and all sort of cringing to do an episode on Johnson. But remember that Johnson is an important part of the Kennedy saga. And it, it, it's worth talking about because the election of 1964 is hilarious. It is friggin' hilarious. I'll okay? take it. And you may even change my opinion on him. We'll I, see. Let's see. So, election of 1964. It is entirely centered around two very important things. Obviously, what had happened in 1963 with the assassination of John F. Kennedy and the passage in 1964 of the Civil Rights Act that again was, we've talked about this before, was brought through, pushed forward by the Kennedys, and then continued and signed into law by Johnson. These are the two things that really define the election of 1964. But it is funny, and the reason I say that it is prescient to talk about is because the candidates will seem a little familiar to you by the time we are done. So if those of you don't know, 
The election of 1964 was between the Democrat, incumbent, former vice president, now current president, Lyndon Baines Johnson of Texas. He ran against an upstart, 60-ish-year-old Arizona cowboy by the name of Barry Goldwater. Now, Barry Goldwater, again, if you've never heard of him, it's, that's interesting uh, that you, if you haven't heard of him, but unless you're a you know, political person who enjoys history and things like that, you probably haven't. I've heard the name, but I don't even really know anything about him. And I'm going to tell you, Caroline and I have arguments about this. We'll have a few too many glasses of wine, and we will argue (laughs) about the importance of Barry Goldwater. If you want to know... Riveting. The kind of (laughs) riveting, uh, just just devil-may-care kind of conversations that go on in our household, we have these kind of conversations. And so... Okay, guys, Ryan and Caroline are smarter than all of us. That is not <laughs> for true. That to be she, their my, wife, my wife is certainly smarter than I. Uh, that's true. And, and she that's is. Not, but that's not saying much. <laughs> and, and so, but, but Barry Goldwater is very important because he is the man who ushers in the modern Republican Party. That is important to know. He ushers in the, the modern Republican Party. Um, you wouldn't know it by talking about this election. But the reality is, is that Barry Goldwater is the first modern Republican in the sense of the image of the Republicans that you have in your mind. I don't care whether you're a Democrat, Republican, I don't care what you are. We have images of each type of person, right? Stereotype in our head of what a Democrat looks like and what a Republican looks like. And Barry Goldwater was the first of this modern breed of Republican imagery. So let's remember something. Let's go back and do a little bit of recap. Lyndon Bay Johnson, before he was on the vice presidential ticket with Kennedy, was the most powerful Democratic slash just generally politician of his day. He was the Senate Majority Leader. He was an imposing figure in American politics. There are two stories that I, and not only that, he was a charismatic figure. One of the things that is exemplified by this is that Johnson, whenever he was in the Senate and then when he became vice president, when he wanted to get things done, he would use what he called the Johnson treatment or what other people called the Johnson treatment. The Johnson treatment as defined or, or studied by other congressmen at the time who experienced it, was supposedly like being licked by a giant St. Bernard dog. Lyndon B. Johnson, six foot four, he's giant, okay? He's got an incredibly imposing voice. He is strong, he is incredibly intelligent, he is witty, okay? And he is conniving. So when he would want to get something done in the Senate, he would go to people's offices and he would sort of stand over top of them and look down at them. He would speak in a very like confident uh. tone. He would cajole people into getting what he wanted. There is a story about him standing at the urinal, urinals, the urinals <laughs> in the Congress, and when he would be talking to another senator, or fellow congressman, or congresswoman, and not congresswoman because that would be a different bathroom. He was. He would be talking <laughs> to another congressman, that when you said it. <laughs> and he would turn during the middle conversation without putting up his member and just stand there and make comments about it because apparently ew. he had a fairly prominent member. Um, but still, like, <laughs> ew, I can't stand this guy. <laughs> so, hey, listen, it's the Johnson treatment. Again, did I say I based my life <laughs> off jo- of him? No, no pun intended. No the pun Johnson intended. Treatment. The Johnson treatment. <laughs> and, uh, and guys, listen, I, I do not base my life off of this guy. But as a historian, <laughs> as a teacher, it's hard not to be interested in things like that in terms of yeah, like politicians like it, that, right? It keeps it interesting. It keeps it interesting, right? It's certainly, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, it's either read about him or read about Herbert Hoover. You know what I mean? Like, you know. Good point. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, 
not only that, there's this great story of, of Lyndon B. Johnson. And uh, one of the things he would do when he would have, other part of the Johnson treatment, he would have congressmen come out to his ranch in Texas, which is actually his mm-hmm. wife's ranch, um, and or come to his office. And two things. One, he would have his aides when they would make scotch and sodas. He would have the aide put less scotch in his glass than in the other person's glass. That's so that brilliant. he could keep his wits about him while they were having their discussions. There's this brilliant story of of uh, when after Johnson had become president, riding around in his white Cadillac on these trails in his Texas ranch, and he had he would he would just drive around, I guess, to take the edge off to relax. He would have a white styrofoam cup with Cuddy Sark whiskey, which is not good, Cuddy <laughs> Sark scotch, and soda. And anytime he would run out, he would slam the brakes of the Cadillac, and of course he was being followed by Secret Service agents. He would put his cup out to the side over the side of the Cadillac and just shake it. And they would run oh. up with more ice and scotch and soda. Uh, and then he would just that's tear a, off. That's great. So <laughs> What like, privilege. <laughs> what privilege, right? I mean, and so I have coined him affectionately the Cadillac Cowboy because Johnson was from Texas. He was – he had this image. He was a politician. He wasn't a real cowboy. Like he didn't really enjoy physical labor, things like that. Like you know how they they portrayed Ronald Reagan and and George W. Bush is like uh, George yes. W. Bush was always out cutting brush. Like if George W. Bush wasn't, at, you know, in the White House, he was out cutting brush, as if those were the only two things that he was capable of doing. Yeah, if you remember that from a long time ago. And he is not even really juxtaposed, as I like to use that that word. But the candidate that he runs against on the Republican side is a real cowboy. He's from Arizona. He is a rough and tumble guy. He wears a Stetson. He rides horses. He likes to go shooting. He flies his own planes. And he, this guy, Barry Goldwater, is sort of like a real cowboy in a sense. And he is very much, uh, like I said, he is this atypical politician. And that is his big appeal. He is atypical. He is not. So you've got a Cadillac cowboy versus a real cowboy. And so that's what makes this so interesting. And it really is an unlikely race because Barry Goldwater, up to that point of the 1964 election, had said he would not run as president because he and Kennedy were big buds in the Senate together. Barry Goldwater and Kennedy would sit around, drink whiskey, and talk about politics. Even though they were on totally opposite sides of the spectrum, they were really big friends. And so Barry Goldwater would not have run in 1964 if Kennedy was the candidate. Hmm. But he hated Johnson. Remember, Barry Goldwater is also a senator. He's experienced, or at least the attempted, Johnson treatment. So, mm-hmm. and he doesn't like John, he doesn't like LBJ at all. He hates him. Okay, and also they disagree on fundamentally pretty much everything. Barry Goldwater is on the far right of the Republican Party. He is uh, a manly man, so to speak. Right? He thinks LBJ is a pretender. Uh, he is for freedom. He is against the welfare state. He is against communism. Like thinks that communism is the worst thing and is trying to convince everybody that communism is terrible and he's for small government, right? He's an outsider. He has this image of a political outsider because he's not like the normal candidate. And so that's what, let me, have I set the stage for you of these two candidates? Totally. I think this would be a good part, unless you had it saved for later, to define the differences between modern day Democrat Republicans versus Largely, largely, very little, okay? The, okay. Shift, the shift did not the, – the biggest shift in the Republican and Democratic Party is about support. After 1960 – and we're going to talk about this. I don't want to you know, give away too much. But in 1964, Republicans 
change from being what they had originally been, which is the sort of stuffy, upper crust, wealthy mm-hmm. people, country club people. Even though I think that image of your mind is probably still of what a Republican is. In 1964, the Republicans add rural, rough and tumble people to their ticket. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of ways that happens. And, and again, it is, it, is, it, is, it is eventually used to the advantage of Richard Nixon four years later. But we're going to talk about how that happened. Okay. Sure. So, One more thing. Yeah. I have a question for you. So I've been listening to, I don't know if you've ever, you would actually really enjoy this if you haven't heard of it. Have you ever listened to Very Presidential by Ashley Flowers? I have she not. hosts Crime Junkies podcast, but then she's done this side project called Very Presidential. And she basically tells like the down and dirty of like some U.S. presidents. Sure. It's very good. If you haven't heard it, go listen to it, everybody. And then don't give me bad reviews because she's so much better podcaster <laughs> than me. But she's incredible. So she talks about how she does an episode on Kennedy and one on Johnson. But she talks about how I'm not saying I agree or disagree with this opinion of hers, but how Kennedy kind of left a big mess, not intentionally, obviously, he was tragically assassinated, but I'm saying there were a lot of things in his presidency that he didn't really necessarily handle that were left over for Johnson to have to handle that Kennedy could have technically handled during his time. Do you agree with that sentiment? I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Remember that, like, Kennedy was, again, he was very young. He was not, he did not have the political prowess that Johnson did. And I, I think if John, if and again, this is all what if story, but if Kennedy had not been killed, I don't know if we'd be talking about him right now. That's just the, that's just the God's honest truth. Like, honestly, I don't know. Oh, I've heard that. I mean, uh, I think Jackie Kennedy had a huge part in um, yeah. the legacy that he, was left by and the Kennedy, the Kennedy, the, Yeah, the Kennedys after him and the fact that he was assassinated, the what if is really what people, I think, cling on to. Same thing goes for Elvis. I mean, honestly, do you, I mean, I love Elvis to death. But if Elvis had not been had not been had not killed had not died not been killed sorry well depends on who you believe if Elvis had not died in 1977 would we would everyone know who Elvis is probably not he would just be another aging star from the from the from a bygone era but because he died he is significant at such a young mm-hmm. age just something to think about right everyone knows who Elvis is right everyone knows who JFK is but there were plenty of other pop stars at the time of Elvis in the 1970s who were way more popular than he was who you have no yeah. idea about today right. Because they're still alive, or they weren't, or they didn't die in a, such a public or prolific manner. Not to say that, not to take away from the impact that they had as that Elvis had as sure. a musician or JFK had as a politician, but that plays a role. Martyrdom almost plays a role, right? I see what you're saying. Yeah. So let's talk about the election. So, so we've got two very different candidates. We've got the Cadillac cowboy and the regular <laughs> cowboy, and the, the centerpiece of this election is race. This is, that is it, right? The Civil Rights Act of 1964, uh, we're in the, you're in the middle, historically, of the most important period in the United, United States history, other than perhaps today or the, or the Civil War, of racial um, equality or the fight for racial equality, okay? Remember, LBJ only won in Texas as a, as a senator because he stood for segregation. Mm-hmm. LBJ wasn't, like, outwardly a pioneer for, for racial equality, until he became president. I, I think, I honestly believe, and I believe this, and I could be wrong. I think secretly he was very against segregation. I think secretly he was, but as, if you're a politician, if you were a Democrat in the state of Texas or a politician in general, at that time, again, we're going to talk about that in a second, you had to be for this very terrible set of institutions because that's what the layman believed in. Gotcha. 
it isn't until he passes the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that that identity changes. And the idea here was that he wanted to be remembered as a heroic president. And he was asked after he passed it, what happens if you lose the South? You're a Democrat. The South is solid South. What happens? He said, so be it. If I lose because of this, then I shall lose and it will be worthwhile. Okay. Which is impressive, right? Um, yeah. I, I think that's important because guys and Allison, segregation at this time was what, or segregation and Jim Crow, Jim Crow laws, which of course set of laws that disenfranchised people of color during this time were basically what you would call the third rail of American politics. Have you ever heard of that before? Yeah. So not, and that, it gets used for a lot of different things. Some would say that right now, social security is the third rail of American yeah. politics. Basically what it means is, is you don't want to step on it. You don't want to touch it. You didn't want to talk about it because for the Democrats, you didn't want to talk about it because it would alienate all your voters in the South because they were largely for it. And mm -hmm. for the Republicans, you didn't want to touch it largely because Republicans were for small government states' rights. And so they didn't believe that the government had a right to tell states how to govern themselves, segregation included, right? Yeah. So the Democrats really didn't want to touch this because they didn't want to alienate their Southern voters. But the problem is, is that both sides are vying for the African-American vote. Both sides want to convince African-Americans to vote for them. Republicans and Democrats, both, both alike, wanted to convince African-Americans to vote for them. And this is what will fundamentally restructure the demographic makeup of the Democratic Party. LBJ crossing the line and saying, I don't care if this loses me the election. I'm going to sign the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Brings black voters in large part into the Democratic Party because they are now the party that, that ended the, the terror or the tyranny, so to speak. All of these voters in the South are disenfranchised now, okay? They are, they're pissed. They're mad. These white Southern, de formerly Democrats, are now a partyless people. They don't feel connected to the Republicans because the Republicans, again, represent sort of a stuffy country club, uh, wealthy elite that they, and middle-class America, cities and things like that. Now, again... This would come back around four years later in 1968 when Richard Nixon uses what's called the Southern strategy to go into the South and pick up all of these disenfranchised former Southern Democrats. He doesn't say, I'll bring back segregation. What he says is, I'm tough on crime, law and order. I will bring, you know, I will bring peace and justice. I will fight communism. He uses things like bad neighborhoods, bad schools, mm. this, what we now call coded language to bring a lot of these disenfranchised former Southern Democrats into the Republican Party. And that's when we talk about that shift. That's the shift. Gotcha. But it starts in 1964. And please, by the way, if you hear that and you're a Republican and you're like, well, that's not fair. We're not racist. That's, I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is it is, a, it is a political fact that in 1968, Richard Nixon and his campaign advisors realized that there were a lot of disenfranchised white voters in the South who no longer trusted the Democrats because they had pushed through the civil rights, and he crafted a message that spoke to those people. It's not to say that Republicans are racist. I think that's largely fundamentally untrue. Yeah, it's just a 1964 fact. It was 1968 fact. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. 1968 fact. The shift, though, <laughs> the thing that gets them to that point is in 1964. So Goldwater, okay, on the other side, Right, so, so Johnson is now the candidate of racial equality. He is the Democratic candidate. He is the continuation of John F. Kennedy, okay? Mm -hmm. Goldwater, out of the gate, just immediately alienates every moderate Republican in the, in the House. 
he is everything that Republicans are not against, but he is everything about Republicanism that they don't want to remember. He is, again, he is crude. He is, he curses. He likes to, he rides a horse, you know, like, but there is this groundswell of support in the Republican Party, largely by young people who want something different, who want to change, who see Goldwater as this just, this new, he's new, it's, he's not a politician, he, he speaks, you know, like us, he talks, you know, like a real person, he's not your traditional guy, and we like that. Right? Doesn't that kind of sound like Johnson too, though? Uh, not really. Not I guess really. I, I don't I mean, know enough about the guy to say that. I guess I need to go watch some stuff yeah, on this I, guy. Go watch some stuff because again, again, you just you look at the two, and you, again, Goldwater just doesn't come off as a politician. He comes off as a cowboy. Mm-hmm. Whereas Johnson put on the cowboy aesthetic to get voters to like him as a rural guy. I think Goldwater really was just a cowboy who made it to the Senate. Gotcha. Okay. And and, and so this is by the way parallel 2016. Right? The popularity of our current president came from a largely grassroots idea that he was not the establishment, that he was something different, that he didn't represent the swamp, right? to, you, to coin a mm-hmm. phrase or to use a phrase. Right? Goldwater is up against in the primary a guy by the name of Nelson Rockefeller. Uh, Nelson Rockefeller of like of the like, Rockefellers. Like of the Rockefellers. He was one of the wealthiest men in the country. He represented the old guard of the Republican Party, and uh, and they go head to head. And and Rockefeller has a lot of support until it comes out that I think. His wife had an affair. It was something. I, you'll have to might have to look it up. Uh, and again, like I said, please don't at me. No, Rockefeller's wife has an affair, and that drops him in the polls. And it comes down to the primary, like the actual, like the 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 the, the convention. Pause. And, Just gotta say, isn't that crazy that the dude, if if that's true, if what you yeah. just said is totally true? Oh yeah. Um, that the guy's wife had an affair, and that drops his polls. But Johnson and Kennedy both ran around their wives like dogs, and it didn't even matter. Exactly. And I don't. <laughs> by the way, I don't. I don't know if what I said was exactly true. No, but even if it's a little bit true, then that just shows basic sexism in the 60s as well. Just saying. Not that any of it's okay, but I'm just saying, right. like, No, I, no I, again, it's just rife. I mean, this time period is so rife with things that we're just, as a, mod, as a not 21st century society, we're just like, what the heck? I know. But Goldwater supporters at this convention are largely, that you can sort of, they're fed up with traditional politics. They are against the welfare state that they see going on. They see the the Democrats as being a welfare state, a nanny state. They're angry, and they don't care. It's Goldwater or nothing. Are you seeing some parallels here? Are you seeing Mm -hmm. some? They're angry. They're riled up. They are. They're infuriated. The convention is just, there's an energy. And Nelson Rockefeller gets up and tries to speak, and he is just interrupted over and over again by Goldwater supporters. And eventually, Goldwater gets the nomination. A lot of moderate Republicans were kind of okay with it at the beginning because they thought, okay, once Goldwater gets the nomination, he'll kind of settle down. We'll control him. He'll be fine. But that wasn't Goldwater. Again, think about it. 2016, a lot of moderate Republicans saw the same thing. They said, okay, you know, once this, once our guy gets, once this guy gets in, we'll take control and it'll be fine. <laughs> that didn't happen. Um, mm-hmm. Again, parallels. And, uh, and they're just, again, like I said, it's just eerily similar to me. I see Barry Goldwater as being the original Donald Trump in a different way. There's a lot of differences between the two of them. Obviously, Barry Goldwater was a senator before he, before he ran for president, so he had government mm-hmm. experience. But I see a lot of similarities in the candidacies of, two, of the two men. I really do. Interesting. I got to study this guy. So what does LBJ have to do? Well, so there, there's a couple of big things here. Barry Goldwater has one thing going against him. In 1964, he voted against the Civil Rights Act. He was one of six senators who voted against the Civil Rights Act. And so immediately, right out of the gate, after he's given the uh, nomination, 
everyone starts calling him a racist. Mm-hmm. You're a racist. You didn't vote for the Civil Rights Act. You're a racist. Really hard to come back from that. His argument was even worse. His argument was that he didn't, just, he didn't agree with segregation. His argument was that it wasn't the federal government's place to tell state governments how to make laws. And so even though he didn't agree with segregation, he didn't think it was up to the federal government to tell states that they couldn't segregate. Oh, dear God. Yeah. So it just wasn't a good argument. I just, just, you just, you're just not going to, it's just a bad play. So the one thing LBJ has to do, he's largely, he needs to consolidate the Democratic Party, which he can largely do because he was in power for so long. He also needs to get Bobby on his side. And Bobby does make an attempt to get the nomination or have people make an attempt for him to get the nomination over Johnson. But Johnson, with some political maneuvering and putting Bobby in different places, largely avoids that and is able to come out on top and receive the nomination. And so now we've got the, the, the stage is set, right? One of the things that is interesting about the DNC that year, the Democratic National Convention, is that Mississippi, remember, a traditionally Democratic state up to that point, had sent yeah. an all-white delegation to the Democratic National Convention, which at the time was against the rules because they were, again, promoting, trying to promote diversity. And so the Freedom Democratic Party of Mississippi, headed up by, you may have heard of her, Fannie Lou Hamer, comes mm-hmm. to the DNC and makes this big impassioned speech. And the one thing here that Johnson does is he sides with the, the traditional Mississippi Democratic Party to, to, to not rock the boat. That was a misstep, I think. I think he, he could have struck a blow against, you know, inequality and against, you know, the forces of, of bad by, by not doing that. But, you know, yeah. he felt it was necessary, I suppose. That's why he's your second favorite president. <laughs> again, <decision>. again. <laughs> There's, there's a lot of this going on right now. We as a, a modern, you know, it's just, it's hard. You have to, whenever you look at someone, this is, we should ne- never lionize anybody. Do not idealize mm-hmm. or lionize anybody. History teaches you this. Historical figures are human beings. They are good and they are bad. They are in between. There is no such thing as an objectively good, great historical figure. And yeah. anyone who tries to say, oh, this person was amazing and we should celebrate this person over another person is... It's probably not informed enough on the issue to talk about it, unless it's Dolly Parton. There <laughs> True. Is, there is one exception to this, and it's Dolly Parton, full stop. That is so She's accurate. She's never done anything wrong, and if she ever— You know it, what? It Dolly matter. for president Do- 2020. You know, <laughs> hey, listen, I would dig it. Dolly, <laughs> mother effing Parton. I'm serious. No, I mean, and I think something to really— take into account for everyone's selves too, is to think it's okay if you don't totally align with the candidate that you choose in every single possible little thing. Because one thing I've realized is just because I want to vote for a certain candidate, but don't align with one tiny little issue or one little thing that he says, that doesn't mean I need to manipulate myself to fit the mold of whatever that candidate is completely, because that's not... They're not my savior. Exactly. Like they're, well, they're a candidate po- of the United States. Poli- you know? Politics isn't a car. Politics is a subway. Have you heard this analogy? Yeah. Yes. I love yes. this analogy so much. And so many people need to hear it. Politics is not like you're, the candidate you vote for is not going to be the car because they're not going to take you exactly where you want to go. It's like a subway. The subway has predetermined stops. And so instead of saying, oh, I'm not going to vote for that person because I don't agree with them on every single thing, you have to view politics as that. I may not agree with everything, but they're going to get me close enough to where I want to be to where I get off the subway and I walk to where I need to be. Exactly. Again, that's, that's exactly what I meant. The, the yeah. subway doesn't go directly to where you want to go. It gets you close. And so you go mm-hmm. with the candidate who is the most close to what, you, to what you align with, even though you might not agree. With, and heck, 
it could be a really big issue that you disagree with them on. Mm-hmm. That, and that's one of the things we're struggling with right now is because of polarization and identity politics, we have these two or three issues that everyone's like, I can't, I cannot divorce myself from this one issue. I'm voting entirely on this issue. And that mm-hmm. is really bad for our country. Yeah. And really I, I understand that mindset and how you can get that way about certain things, but it's, I don't know. Uh, you can't just hang your hat on one candidate just because. Right. Because they support of, X or they don't support Y. You exactly. Know, it's, it's, like it's, 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 a, it's a big scope right. thing. It's not, it's 100%. not a tiny, narrow decision. Completely so. agree. Anyway. So we got the race, 1964. And uh, at where, where the ni- race of 1960 was the first modern campaign, this is the first campaign where attack ads get used in large quantities. Um, oh, really? Yes. I didn't know that. So Lyndon B. Johnson sort of opens the salvo with what's called the Daisy ad. Now, you need a little backstory on this. Goldwater is famous during this time for literally you know, saying things off the cuff. He's got a very brusque and like, you know, fighting spirit about him. One of the things he likes to say is that If other countries start to act up, we should just use our nukes because we have Mm -hmm. them. So Goldwater is on record several times as saying, we got a bunch of nukes. Why don't we just nuke them? You know, to his supporters, they're like, yeah, that sounds, yeah, we're tough guy, right? We like the tough guy mentality. But LBJ says, hmm, okay. So the LBJ ad runs this campaign, and I think you should play the Daisy ad. Um, I'll do that right, right here. Yes, you should do that right here. other or we must die vote for president johnson on november 3rd the stakes are too high for you to stay home and basically what that ad is is it is a girl in a field setting the scene for you and you've just heard the ad there's a countdown and a nuclear explosion happens oh shit now they never use a word of goldwater's stuff they never say this is what Goldwater said. They never use his, his actual terminology. But everyone already in their minds knows that Goldwater likes to talk about nukes, and so they automatically associate the Daisy ad with Goldwater. Wow, that's brutal. Oh, but I was just thinking, it was illegal to have – wasn't it illegal or am I wrong to say maybe. really negative I, things know, about a candidate? I honestly have no idea. I don't remember. Maybe, but maybe it they, was. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Because th- there's another ad that comes up later, and it's basically it just, this, well, it just wasn't really the right thing right. to do. Is it, that correct? Yes, okay. It, yes, it wasn't the right. Well, it, it shocked a lot of people. It only ran like one day. Well, I was just saying though. I mean, he technically didn't even do the wrong thing to do because he didn't play any of the right. guy's words. Sure, he didn't. So. He all he did was make people associate. And his strategist. Not. It wasn't like LBJ was sitting there like. Yeah, on the toilet. Yeah, it's like, telling I got, out people what I got to do. myself a great idea. Um, <laughs> That's awful, though. That's a brutal oh, ad. Terrible, Lord. right? Goldwater says, "I'm not going to do any attack ads." He took the high road. Ah, bad idea. Shouldn't have. Shouldn't have. <laughs> um, because it was really a. This was really an election 
as he thought it, Barry Goldwater thought, I am running on my ideals. I'm running on the ideas of small government, anti-communism, right? Republican values, patriotism. Um, but really, it was, a, it was an election about personalities. It was a referendum on L- L- Lyndon B. Johnson. It really was. It was, do you like mm-hmm. Lyndon B. Johnson or do you not like Lyndon B. Johnson? And is the person we've, that the Republicans have chosen to replace him good enough? Uh, that there kind was of parallels other, today as well. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. But there was this other ad where basically there was a saw cutting, af- cutting off the eastern coast of the United States into the water because Barry Goldwater was very famous for being very anti-liberal like liberal or like elite cities on the east coast and saying like America was in the heartland. And uh, I don't know if you know this. There's a lot of electoral votes on the east coast, like mm. a lot, you know, mm-hmm. New York, Massachusetts, Ma- you know, uh, Pennsylvania. You don't really want to piss those people off. But, you know, who am I to judge? Um, Side note, if you guys want to know how stupid I am and how directionally challenged I am, anytime anyone ha- mentions a direction, I literally have to picture in my head a compass and go north, south, east, west. That's okay. <laughs> that's how I figure out my direction. That's okay. That's okay. Also, I used uh, – not I almost said MapQuest. What is it, the 90s? I used my GPS to get to my college – for two years until the last week of college. It's okay, you had a lot, you had a lot of other no, things on your mind. No sense of direction. You had so many other things on your mind. Um, <laughs> That's true. It was you had, okay. you had a lot going on. Um, Continue. A little realness for y'all. You know, and, <laughs> and Johnson is consistently ahead, by the way, in the polls the entire time. Like, he's consistently ahead. But there is the big worry. Johnson has signed the Civil Rights Bill, right? The South, which, again, the Kennedys were so worried about in 1960 is up for grabs for the first time since the Civil War. The South wow. is no longer solidly Democratic, right? And so there's this big worry. And Barry Goldwater goes after the South. He, sends his, you know, he goes and campaigns on freedom and states' rights, thinly veiled things. Barry Goldwater did not support segregation or Jim Crow. But what he did say was, I support your state's right to decide for yourself. That's coded language, by the way. But... Mm. It goes so far. Johnson's so worried about this that he sends his wife, Lady Bird, LBJ and LBJ, by the way. Just funny. Just Lady oh, Bird Johnson. Lady Johnson. Look at that. Yeah. Because she's this very prim and proper Southern Texas lady. And they send. And she, she was very loved. She was. Too. She was. And she goes down and sort of fights for this idea. But it is all for naught. Because on election night, election night, LBJ and the Kennedys were correct. Because the results are shocking. What we would consider the old South goes for Goldwater for the first time going for a Republican since the Civil War, okay? Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, Louisiana, all go for Barry Goldwater, as well as his home state of Arizona. But that is where the list stops because every other state went for Johnson. It was the (laughs) largest political landslide in the history uh, up to that point of the United States, Johnson wow. would win uh, the, uh, every other state. Uh, so, so six states went for, went for Barry Goldwater, and every single other state uh, would go to, to, to Lyndon B. Johnson. It wasn't even close. 486 wow. electoral college votes to 56 electoral college votes. And Lyndon B. Johnson won by more than 16 million popular votes. It wasn't like it was close across. It was like, oh, just every, every state mattered. Barry Goldwater got blown out of the water. 
Cadillac Cowboy rides the again. Cadillac Cowboy comes <laughs> ripping and a tearing into the election, shaking his cup of whiskey and saying, have at me, Barry. You ain't got nothing on this here man. And, Crazy. Um, I, I was hoping that I built that suspense enough to get you guys. Like, I was hoping all of you, you were did, surprised. You did, because I, I didn't know. So I was like, oh, God, was it close? Yeah, right. So, no. Like, biggest political landslide up until um, 1984 when Ronald Reagan would beat, um, come on, history teacher. Uh, wow. Oh, fire. No, I shouldn't. Oh, what? Dukakis. No, not Dukakis. McGovern. George McGovern. Ha ha. Uh, take that. Uh, yes. Uh, Barry would, would beat Michael. Du- not Michael. Dang it. More George McGovern. Uh, winning all but one state. Yeah. That's nuts. LBJ just blows him out of the water. And you want to know why? It just he was a populist grassroots candidate. Barry Goldwater was ahead of not ahead of his time. I guess you could might say if you parallel him to Donald Trump, he was ahead of his time. But it, he just the establishment still ruled the day, right? Remember, the you know, the hippie movement hadn't happened yet, right? This whole idea of anti-establishment did not a lot of people didn't like that idea. They didn't want to change, right? But what does this do? Why is this a significant? First of all, the Republicans, for the first time and, for, and consistently since then, win the South, solidly Southern states, on a campaign of states' rights, on a campaign of law and order, on a campaign of anti-communism. But it also brings in this idea of populism for the first time into the Republican Party. Remember, the Republican Party had been the party of upper-crust elites, you know, country clubs, and wealth, right? Mm-hmm. And now, all of a sudden, grassroots, populist young, enthusiastic voters enter the Republican Party, and it would really fundamentally reshape the Republican Party into what we know it as today. Again, if you think about the Republican Party, you're probably thinking about Ronald Reagan. In the image of your brain, if you're me, if, like, if you're like me, you think of, when you hear the word Republican, you automatically go to Ronald Reagan, right? I thought about George Bush. Really? Like I mean, I guess the, the Bushes. I mean, the Bushes. I, I mean, think the Bushes. it's because I was like a little kid right. when he was elected, That's so he true. was like the Republican, right. you know. Um, but sure, you can have your Reagan. Sure. sure. Well, <laughs> again, Reagan is this famous, you know, California guy owns horses, is a cowboy in and of itself. That's and, true. That's and, true. And comes out of nowhere. And and again, you can see these parallels. And then in 2016, a populist comes along with grassroots support from rank and file people, not wealthy, not elite, not you know. A lot of them disenfranchised, a lot of them angry, a lot of them fired up, and they vote him into office. The significance of 2016 and the significance of 1964 was that in 1964, a Republican populist ran and lost by a huge margin. In 2016, a Republican populist ran and won by a very small margin, but won nonetheless. And that is, in my opinion, and you can, we could debate this if anybody wants to debate this, the first time that a real God's honest populist has won an election in this country. And that's why it's felt so weird. Because, again, we've had populists before. We've had guys like William Jennings Bryan in the 1890s who ran on the idea of free silver and socialism, basically. We had, um, you know, even Teddy Roosevelt who ran in the 1912 election on a third-party ticket as, again, the party for the people, the Bull Moose Party. We have had populists in the past. Barry Goldwater, same thing, populist, rough-and-tumble, out-of-nowhere guy. But the establishment always bucked them off until 2016. And so I just think there's some really important parallels there. And I think Donald Trump owes a lot of his success to Barry Goldwater, even though he probably doesn't know who Barry Goldwater is. Maybe he does. I... <laughs> Listen, maybe he does and maybe he doesn't. Maybe he does. I'll believe it. I'll, yeah, I'm not going to say anything political. I'm just going to say... I have, I, oh, I have an idea. Tweet him 
and ask him, and he'll probably reply. Well, I mean, he, to be fair, he likes he likes Twitter. To be fair, I think his dad probably knew Barry Goldwater. Well, there you go. Trump's dad probably did. He probably knew Barry. Who knows who Barry Goldwater is? Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. But <laughs> either way, there's a lot of parallels to the the Goldwater campaign of 1964 and the Trump campaign of 2020, 2016. I think if you look at those parallels and really dissect them, you'll just see a similarity. And that's why, again, the past is never dead. It isn't even past. I am so tired. Now I'm going to get on my soapbox for just two minutes, okay? Do it. I am so tired of people getting overwhelmed and just awestruck and saying everything is terrible and 2020 is the worst year that's ever happened and everything is the worst. We have such a low bar because of how we have existed in the last 20 years. And I'm not going to say this is like a, a you know younger generation thing. I'm a part of the millennial generation. I'm not that old. But history can teach us so much and put, everything, put the things that we exist in in perspective and so it just it gets to me. It, it ticks me off. As a person who, who teaches history, I try to instill within my students that this is like, you know, you can look to the past to find context for what we're going through. And so to complain and to, to moan and to bemoan all these things is something that no one's ever had to go through. It's not only selfish, but also ignorant, right? Mm-hmm. It is both selfish and ignorant. Look to the past. You can find precedent for almost nearly everything. And that's what I think these two elections can do for us. So if you're really stressed out by this election, if you're listening right now and going, oh my, well, I guess you'll be listening on election day. So today mm-hmm. is really stressful for you. And if you're listening to this to, to calm your nerves, which by the way, what the hell is Sorry. wrong with you? Yeah, what the, hell is, what the you hell is wrong with you? <laughs> if you're listening to this on the day of the election and you're sitting there going, this is unprecedented, this is unprecedented, it is not unprecedented. And listen, I, if I go to sleep right now and this election would be over, I would. Because I'm a historian. I like to look at things that have already happened because then I can yeah. say definitively why they happened. I'm not good That's at prediction. True. I don't like prediction. <laughs> I, I'm not a gambler. I'm not a, I'm, I hate gambling. Um, but I will tell you that once this election is over, I think you, we can see – we can go back and look and see a lot of parallels between – between elections that have happened before and and maybe with a little we bit should of do clarity. a follow up we about should. that we should let's let's well, post election let's see if maybe I can maybe I can we can look back specific connections and we can connect actual like, yeah pieces of this election to sixty four or sixty that's a really you know. good idea and I want to make a statement too if you have any questions or comments about anything that's been said please message them to me you don't have to leave a negative review if you don't agree please don't do that please just don't like I, I if you don't like happy. it just don't listen but we would be thrilled sure. to answer any questions or any comments or anything that you have like we actually Brian and I love that oh, like yeah. we actually take sport in debating each other because we don't agree on a lot of things we, don't, <laughs> we, we love don't. it if this, <laughs> so. if this podcast was a, just a general interest podcast you know Allison and I would be we're talking you know we have a specific concept here but Allison and I spent a lot of time in college just arguing about very a very a lot, I'm not going to go into it but a large array of very important topics that I think everyone totally. finds important and uh, we don't agree on everything and 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 so I would say, yeah, but the, I know you do those question and answers. If you guys have questions and you're like, I want to spar with Ryan Pryor. Um, I will connect you guys. That's, you know, there you go. You, you can, you can. Yeah. And, and I, we would love that. And the thing, the thing about this podcast too, is I get a lot of messages from both ends of the spectrum, both very liberal or very conservative. I get both and both are very thankful for the podcast that I have that it's not necessarily like, I don't agree with you. You suck, blah, blah, blah on either side of the spectrum. So we, I want you to take this podcast and what we've said and 
you know, hold firm to your own beliefs and stuff. And if we don't agree on something or if or if one of us said something you don't like, then that's okay. That's well, kind of the beauty yeah. of our country, you know? I mean, and, you, and so yeah. and if you think it's unfair I mean, you know, if you think any of the comparisons I made or we made are unfair, yeah. I mean, you know, you do those question and answer things and I'd be happy to if you submit questions to Allison, I will answer those questions in the best way totally. that I know how. And some of those answers might be I simply don't know or I haven't done enough research to answer that question. Um and that's that's you know, that's okay too. But also realize that a lot of things we have said, especially dating back to the 60s, are factual statements. Yes, these are <laughs> so trust, like, it's not like we're just going off opinion. At least I No, none of the, this know. is all factual <laughs> stuff. Uh, the interpretations are our own, the interpretations mm-hmm. of events, the connections. Um I do I mean, technically speaking, I do have we do have, you know, we have some credence. It's not just going off the cuff. I do this for a living. And so True. This is not you know, I do this for a living, and so I will say that I, I, I try my best to be as factual as possible because uh, it's important to be factual, and it's important to – True. To, because we live in an age of, of – which is ironic. We live in an age where people can just sort of lie and get away with it, and, you know, that shouldn't be the case because we have the infinite amount of information at our fingertips. Both a blessing and a curse, isn't it? <laughs> All the information. Yes, it is. Well, do you have anything else you want to – Happy election, Bad? guys. May your glasses be full tonight or not. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know exactly what you'll – again, we're recording this in the past, so I don't know how I'm going to be feeling on this day today. He'll, he'll be pacing and driving and like, dry like heaving. heaving into, a, into dry a, heaving. A, or a paper bag. I'll be driving in a paper bag um, uh, because, you know, this election is important. Uh, this this it election is important. is important. And there's a lot of things on the ballot. There's a lot of things that we as a nation are going to decide on. And, and whatever your political persuasion is, go vote, you know, yep. and, and make sure you're informed on the issues and make sure you're informed about don't don't just take somebody's word for it. Go and look for yourself. Exactly. And, and, and remember that politics is a subway. Politics is a subway. Just because one candidate doesn't agree with you on everything doesn't mean that they're not that you, you can't vote for them and vice versa. And oh, and by the way, remember, it's not just the president that's up for election. It's senators. It's local pe- local elections, local issues. Do your research. You know, you can split ticket, by the way. Like, you don't have to vote for every single person on one party. If you're a, if, if, right. if the local, you know, if you're a Democrat and the local Republican is a better candidate than the local Democrat, vote for the local Republican and vice versa. You know? Exactly. If, don't necessarily just go off of what your friends are doing or what your family taught you to do. Not that they even, I'm not saying they taught you, whatever. You know what I'm saying. Don't do that. Make your own opinions. Me and Pryor haven't even really talked about who we're voting for. We don't do that. Like, no. like Because he has his own opinions, I have my own opinions, and that's okay. And that's a beautiful thing, and that is America. Vote for who you feel like should really be voted for. Research really hard. Don't just do what your friends are doing. Um, don't do drugs. <laughs> have a good time. Wow. Wow. <laughs> what a way to end it. Dare to be different. Dang it. <laughs> this is just all wrapped up in what Can you believe you get this kind of value? For nothing at all. You don't even have to subscribe you don't to, the Kennedy, to the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. You just <laughs> yeah. get the, the you just get the, the straight guff. That's right. For no money That's at right. all. This is man. You 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 need some sponsors. You need Dare to sponsor you. I do. After that, I'm going to reach out. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> hey Dare, you want to sponsor this political podcast? Why? I'll say don't do drugs <laughs> at the end of every single podcast. Every single one. Oh, and amazing. by the way, people, don't do drugs. You were just talking about the Electoral College. Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. <laughs> yeah. You're getting paid a lot of money. <laughs> just don't do them. 
It's amazing. Well, Pryor, thank you so much for joining me on this amazing, not election day, but will be election day. And we will do a follow-up episode at some point and, and, and talk and about whatever the and hell sub- happens hey, yes, tonight. <laughs> yes. And submit your questions to Allison. If you have any, if you have questions, do you're it. like, I want some clarification. Or if you just want to debate, if you want to ask our opinion on something, Allison will send me that question and I will, I can, I can answer it. You I know, will definitely forward so. it because I will not probably debate with you, but Pryor loves yeah. it. <laughs> All right. So send them on. Good luck, everybody. All right. Good luck, America. Good luck, America. <laughs> and I will talk to you guys next week. Come on and vote for Kennedy. Vote for Kennedy. Keep America strong. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Hello everyone, my name is Tom Kearns and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go.